Steve, you might have been right with NC State having a revelation with MJ Morrison, quarterback, too. Yeah, no, for sure. That kid looks pretty good. Now, next year, I'll have to play without that monstrous defense. So we'll see if he gets yeah, ready. Yeah, but at least they can win football games. Like, I mean, I thought they were going to lose every football game from here on out when when I saw Chambers play against them. I'm like, oh, this offense can't move the ball. Like, you, you just need to, like, you know, have somebody like, if you can score, you know, 17 or 20 points, you, you can slug, but Chambers wasn't going to put that up. Like, you need the defense to spot him 14 and see if he could pull out a field goal. Welcome back to the CFB Paint Podcast. We're here after another awesome week of college football. We'll start off our rapid round in order of ACT score. We'll go lowest to highest. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. It kind of depends on what our what our criteria is. I, Maybe we go with your best score, but not not taking your like composite where you're adding elements of different times you took it. And maybe that's that's gonna be our 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 measuring stick for today. I'll just lay out mine first. I took it once, 31, figure that was good enough, and was like, why would I spend another Saturday doing this? Yeah, I I matched you there, Steve. 31 took me twice though so i'm slightly dumber than you i think i got a 30 a 29 the first time so in in order i'll, I'll fall behind you you'll go in front of me because we'll go lowest to highest oh perfect yeah i think i took it twice as well um i didn't know there was a science part on it <laughs> so i didn't do well on the first part i think i'd make it 29 my first time and then my second time i made a 32 so remember the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell that's about all I got from science. Same. I'm going to be the low score here. I took it twice and I got a 30 both times. Uh, Steve mentioned the composite. My, my composite is a 32 because one time I did better on science and the other time I did better on reading. I was consistently good at math, but each individual score was still a 30. So I went back and got the same result and was like, well, and then I realized it was actually you worth something when I applied. So, so that was good. But that also leaves me kicking off. Do we say lowest to highest? Is that how we're doing this? Perfect. To start off rapid round, I don't want to dwell on this very long, but Steve, you weren't totally wrong about Oklahoma State. Some of it has been due to injury, so I'm not willing to give tons of credit, but just wanted to let that out there first. And then the second thing I want to go into is a game that we're not going to talk about a whole lot throughout the rest of the show, but something I think uh, deserves a lot of, <laughs> just something you might want to look into in your spare time. Mississippi State versus Auburn was a crazy game. Mississippi State was ahead 24 to 3. Auburn comes all the way back. They, they are eventually up 33 to 30. There's a great scene from the stands of Mike Leach folding up all the chairs on his sideline so that none of his players can sit down because of what a terrible job they've done coughing up this lead. They drive down, hit a field goal to tie it up 33-33, and then go to do a pooch kick. There's like 29 seconds on the clock. So they try and drive it low so that way a little bit of time gets wasted on the turn but they hit the up back immediately in front of them and cover as an onside kick. Um, it reminded me a lot of, if you've seen the water boy, when they need an onside kick and the kicker's looking for, I can't say the line on here, but the, you know, who, who's the, the toad in the, in the group essentially. And they drill this guy on accident, but they recover it and they have a chance. They get into field goal range, at least within their kickers uh, career long. And then they snap the ball. The, the center snaps the ball, but he snaps it into the dirt. So he kind of rolls it like six inches, picks it back up, throws it back again to his quarterback, snap infraction uh, with nine seconds left. It pushes him out of field goal range. They short it. It goes in overtime. Eventually, 
in, in first overtime, Mississippi State wins. But Mike Leach, after the game, had an all-timer uh, in the press conference. Very disappointed with his team and their lack of focus on the game. And he said, rather than playing football and getting first downs, they like to be under a shade tree, eating fish sandwiches and sipping lemonade with their fat little girlfriends. <laughs> and it was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And something that you never know what you got to get with Mike Leach, but you know you're going to love him. So just something I thought needed a little bit of a highlight, even though we weren't going to touch on that game. That's all I had to cover for, for my wrap around. That is hilarious. Uh, for me, Brian, I'll take the different tone on a Steven take. Steven, you're definitely wrong. Defense still wins. And I think Georgia showed us that this weekend. Well, well done to the dogs. The other big takeaway this week, I don't know if Saban is just confused with the word or the process, but this is not what a rebuild, last year being a rebuild year, that's not the way this is supposed to work for this season then. And so better luck, I guess, in their next year following a rebuild. But other than that, I'll give you my winning and losing jerseys of the week. My winners, Arizona State, they wore their uh, Pat Tillman jerseys, their uh, PT42 jerseys. Those are great. Losers, Boise State, somebody should tell them that black on shiny black, maybe shiny silver, I'm not sure, makes it very challenging to see the decals on your helmets and the names. Those are those jerseys are stinkaroos. Not worse than the field, but still bad. Oh, we disagree. I thought those looked pretty sharp. I love the, the blue face mask on the black helmet. It popped. That's fine. There's elements of that jersey that are fine. The fact that I can't read your name and you put a decal on the side of the helmet that's like, I can only see if the stadium lights hit it appropriately. That's my problem. Go throw the blue horse on there. Uh, put the riding in blue. Great. The jerseys are great. All right. I usually am big on contrast, so I, I can see you there. Also, just of note there, the BYU white, white face mask on white helmet, I think, is new. I thought that looked pretty sharp, too. In keeping with the tradition that we, I guess we've started today of talking about Steve's predictions for things. I'll take another one. I mentioned that with MJ Morris at quarterback, NC State had a puncher's chance and they proved me right this week. I think that they've got, uh, things get interesting if he starts to get even more settled and, and even more set, just entrenched as, as a starter and preparing like a starter would, as opposed to being what, what he was, where he was in the third string as a true freshman. So yeah, NC State, showing signs of life after uh, what appeared to be a devastating injury. Um, they're still, they're still alive in the ACC Atlantic. It's they need help, but uh, there's a chance. I don't know if I give him 19 carries every week though. Like you've seen what you've got with chambers. So I'm trying to keep that guy healthy through the rest of the year. May want to, may want to try and, and keep the, the training wheels on when it comes to uh, running the football for, for Mr. Morris. Go ahead. 32. All right. Um, speaking of our predictions, I'm going to go through some of my predictions. I predicted Tennessee to blow out Georgia. Boy, was I wrong. And Kansas, I owe you guys an apology. You are now bowl eligible. You got your sixth win. It was against a start uh, Oklahoma State team that didn't have their starting quarterback in and the backup through three interceptions. But you can only beat what's in front of you. And props to you for leaning, leaning on Devin Neal. I mean, 224 rushing yards, 110 receiving yards. The man did it all. You guys deserved it. Um, sitting in fourth place in the Big 12 with two losses. Or, sorry, fourth in the Big 12 with three losses. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. We'll take that. With that, we'll get a win results update from Mark, the accountant slash spreadsheet expert. Go ahead, take it away. Just like my, my in-laws don't know that I don't do accounting. But 
this week, Corey uh, returns back to his uh, position on top. He wins the week and, and remains in charge of everything. So for those who are first listening to us, we drafted 10 teams at the beginning of the year, and we're trying to tally who has the most wins through the regular season uh, of your team of 10 teams. So Corey's uh, in the lead. He extended his lead this week. He's at 71 wins through the year. Brian's next at 65, and Steve and I are tied for the last at 54, way behind the pack. It's really two horse race here. Uh, Corey wins the week at eight and two. Steve and I go six and four. And Brian has his worst week of the year by far, I think, at five and four. Corey, you want to take us through uh, your teams and, and how you felt about the week as our, our big winner? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so my teams are Clemson, USC, Boise State, UCF, Coastal Carolina, Oregon, Pitt, Penn State, UCLA, and Florida State. My losses come with Clemson and Boise State, Clemson to Notre Dame which I think we all kind of talked about this a little last week and we kind of saw this one coming a little bit as a potential. So I'm not overly bummed by that. And, and Boise State, uh, every time they play BYU, you know it's going to be a shootout. And this one this one was any, any different. I think the final touchdown was scored with like a minute, 12 seconds left. With all, the rest of the other teams, though, I, I got to be happy with their wins and with Florida State, you know, can't be any happier than that one. Honestly, I took them at the end thinking that People didn't think that they were going to be a good team this year, that they'd be only a six-win team this year, and I had them between eight and nine. And it looks looking more and more like a possibility. So we'll see how that goes. Definitely a very disappointing week for me. I had, before the season, I knew Tennessee was going to lose to Georgia. I didn't realize one week beforehand I'd be predicting Tennessee to win that game, but that was one that I was okay with. Houston losing to SMU in the shootout of the season was wild. A 140-point game combined. Uh, SMU wins 77-63. to 63. So crazy result on that one. Really, the Spencer Sanders injury at Oklahoma State is killing me right now. The, there are two losses in a row. Not necessarily wins that they would have had if they had him, but definitely they have a better chance at competing when they do have him. So that one's been a little bit of a bummer. It may continue to be a bummer as I anticipated Oklahoma State to be a little bit better this year than they have been but the Miami loss to Florida State I can accept uh, I don't need my Miami team to win when they're going against my favorite team I was rooting vehemently against them when they were down 38 to 3 to make it another seven and another seven and another seven so that one I I can take and sleep easy at night Brian you, you mentioned the the Houston game there are some eye-popping I mean it, as there are going to be in any game that puts up 140 points but you know, the Houston quarterback threw for 527 yards and seven touchdowns, only to be outdone by the nine touchdowns Tanner Mordecai threw for SMU, which is unbelievable. The difference there being Houston threw three picks. So this week for me, um, you know, disappointed that Alabama dropped that game, needed that one. Oklahoma, I think they take a step back last week. I think I said Notre Dame and Oklahoma are maybe fighting for looking like they're the, the best best second act of the season. I think Oklahoma with this loss falls out of that and you replace them with LSU who beats Alabama three weeks in, four weeks in, people were thinking that LSU team was not going to be very good and, and well, they're really good. Utah wins, Wisconsin wins, UTSA wins, another interesting game. They, they play a lot of tight games. Notre Dame with a big upset. Didn't see that uh, necessarily coming at the start of the season. Good for them. Air Force wins. Army loses. Utah State finds a rare win and uh, Louisiana loses. Bringing up the rear here. Uh, George is the one bright spot on the team. They're carrying us. Appreciate that. And um, I'm not sure they're going to win again. I know they face UMass. I have my doubts. Uh, I say that mostly facetiously. I think they'll they'll maybe maybe take one, maybe two more games. Fresno State, don't look now. 
They've won four in a row. Jake Hayner's back. That one may help me kind of put lipstick on the pig when it comes to our actual totals. Yeah, Texas hangs on against Kansas State, jumped out to a lead. They face TCU this next week in a primetime game at home. So we'll call that one. Uh, that one should be interesting. They will be favored. NC State, like I mentioned earlier, NJ Morris, uh, that, that one started to, he, he started to come on. They do have a pretty tough close to, uh, to the season with UNC as, as one of their final three games. And I can't remember who else they play in the, in the last stretch. But I remember looking at it. I think Louisville, maybe. Have they played Louisville yet? That might be it. There's a couple tough games still left for NC State, but they've, they've got a puncher's chance with a quarterback that can that, that's serviceable. App State, I don't know what team's going to show up every time they, they, they hit the field. BYU, way to go on the road and get a W. Refs sure didn't want you to win that game, but uh, you found a way to do it anyway. Uh, Washington State, kind of middle of the road. Uh, again, there's there's other Pac-12 South darlings that I wish I had. Oregon State or Washington, perhaps Washington is the, the, probably the one that uh, is the biggest surprise there in the Pac-12. I, I may have said Pac-12 South again. I, it's Pac-12 North. I know they don't have divisions, but for all intents and purposes, they still do with the scheduling. Purdue, what are we doing? What are we doing, Purdue? Going out here. The Charlie Jones story was fun. And then Iowa flipped the script on them. And throw a couple touchdown passes early. Purdue only scores three. That one's a that one's a rough pick. I I've learned a lot and uh, I've paid dearly, as Creep Bratton says in the office. So, yeah, who'd who'd have uh, thought on Saturday morning that Iowa and Ohio State would flip offenses? <laughs> exactly. They need to go hey, back um, and wish they had their own bodies back, and you know, do the whole Freaky Friday thing. Yeah, we were watching the Florida State game, you, me, and Brian, and Brian and I are going through these win totals, and I go, Brian, I have two losses, and Stephen hadn't watched the BYU game, asked us not to get rid of it, or not to say anything. Did you catch that, Steve? I did not. Oh, uh, I was I'm like, oh, maybe right I only have one head. loss. I turned back to Brian, and I was like, crap. <laughs> I could tell exactly what you were doing, because that's why I diverted it back to mine, to be like, well, I have Miami who's losing, so that's gonna, and I was hoping, like, if we can change the subject quick enough, Steve won't start doing the math and going... Corey, who's on his team? Who does he have that loss? Because I, I noticed when you're like, oh, I have one. I was like, yeah. That's I don't even remember who's on my own team, just just so we're clear. <laughs> I think we do need to to figure out, particularly, you know, I told you guys to, to, to take advantage of this one. It looked like I was definitely going to be the loser, but what the losers, you know, what the punishment for the loser is going to have to be now. We've got a, a two-horse race. I'm glad that we didn't make it. Uh, we didn't settle on a, on a punishment because now it looks like more more likely that it could end up being me. There has I'm to be afraid some with... punishment, though. Or maybe a reward for the winner. Yeah, that is something that you would like, huh, Corey? I, I'm afraid with this week, I'm theoretically still in the running, but I think this late into the season, six games back, uh, I needed a big week this week to to catch Corey, and I think this might be the the one that puts me out of contention for the remainder of the season. You just look at his his lineup and it's so solid. You don't have these Miamis and Iowas and teams where you're like, everything needs to go right if this is going to work out. So we'll see if there's any ground made up, but I think I'm going to have a hard time getting any closer than, than I am right now. I was looking through this. Um, we don't have LSU picked. That's probably the highest, LSU or TCU, the high, two highest teams that are not picked on, on the group. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to look, do like sort of a year in review and, and kind of, look at 
who were the worst teams that were selected a and m and who were the the teams that ended up having the most wins that did not make our draft thanks for that mark thanks for putting that together all right we've got a loaded slate of games to cover let's let's start with the one that we all talked about as the marquee matchup of the weekend heading into the weekend and i think exiting the weekend it's the one that not many people are talking about because it was so lopsided in terms of just the the, the play on the field uh, sure the the point spread at the end was only what 13 it never felt that close frankly uh between georgia and tennessee in athens mark you mentioned that you had some thoughts and some comments on this game let's hear what your what your perspective was yeah i mean it's probably what everybody else's was Georgia defensively is unbelievable. And we saw this in week one and Brian said, they might be better than last year. And it seems like they really kind of have messed around throughout the season until this point, but they've got the ability to flip the switch on. They lived in the backfield against Hendon hooker. Uh, They pressured him 20 times, had six sacks to give a little context that Tennessee had given up 39 pressures the entire year and they gave up 20 against Georgia. And so at no point did they really feel threatened. Like you mentioned, great discipline by the Georgia cornerbacks, never to just randomly lose Jalen Hyatt. And so no, no easy points for Tennessee. And, you know, it's always, it's hard to read into to one win. Georgia hasn't really played a very tough schedule. I don't know what to make of their win of Oregon at this point. Uh, I still think they'd beat Oregon pretty good. I don't know if it would be, you know, 49 to three, if they played them again, but other than that, it's like, there's, there's not much meat on the bones, but Georgia certainly looks like they might, you know, cakewalk through the rest of this season. Yeah, I was looking back through their schedule this from what they're from the games they played. It's almost as if like Georgia's defense decides to show up when they play a big game versus not. Like they're the most points they've allowed is 22 this season, and it's to Kent State and Missouri, like the two worst teams they played, and then the thir- third most is what. Florida, so the three worst teams they've played, they've allowed the most amount of points to. Just kind of interesting. It seems like they, just like you said, kind of know when to when to turn it on, when to not. To me, the big takeaway in this game was, man, just the amount of the, the ability of the, the Georgia defense to really lock up the outside. It felt like there were three or four opportunities, and, and oh, I guess like, for the most part, I didn't see a whole lot of open people downfield, and there were three or four opportunities that this did happen, but the pressure from the front four was such that Hendon Hooker couldn't get an accurate throw on, on some of those receivers. There was They were sprinkled throughout the game where there was, you know, you had Jalen Hyatt uh, behind the defense. You had, I think, Brew McCoy at one point went went deep and, and was open, but the pass you know was was well beyond him he overthrew him but again hard, hard to blame Hendon Hooker when he's avoiding the rush that the Georgia defensive line put on him very consistently throughout the day man it was that was a a, a fun game to watch just kind of like to be reminded as we've seen across the country that it doesn't feel like there's as many dominant teams you know Bama obviously has lost twice and we're usually accustomed to them winning pretty comfortably maybe being challenged once or twice a year you're seeing some vulnerability from even ohio state i know they had an odd game we'll talk about it in a little bit but 
Georgia reminded us, no, there there is a dominant team out there that has the ability when it needs to put in an elite performance and really crank it up a notch that has the ability to do that. Uh, really, really impressed with Georgia. Glad they're on my win totals team because otherwise I'd be definitely uh, not tied for last, but well in last by myself. But I did, I did want to say something like this Stetson Bennett that played this game looked more like the Stetson Bennett I think we kind of expected from the beginning of the year. He seemed like somebody that was driven. He was ready to show, show himself, prove himself. You looked from the moment he played the game, he was amped. He didn't. He took care of the football, executed the game plan. They clearly had a game plan to, to target like underneath and what was available underneath of those, underneath the linebackers and the and the quarterbacks as they played for underneath. Um, but he made the right reads and and played very well in my opinion. I mean, what is it like seventeen of twenty five for two hundred fifty four yards or something like that? I don't know. I'm talking that off the top of my head, but, um, and, and but he had two touchdowns and no interceptions, um, and moved the offense pretty pretty darn well. Yeah, it was a version of Stetson Bennett that coming off the Oregon game week one, kind of not necessarily expected, but thought it's possible we see this version throughout the season. But if he's going to show up like that in big moments, I don't think they care if he's doing that against Missouri all the time or Kent State, provided that when Tennessee rolls around, when they have LSU or Alabama in this SEC title game, he's this Stetson Bennett, not a, not a Bulldog fan, not a Bulldog player is going to care at all because this is a composed performance in a, in a big game. So a good statement from a player who I've been slightly maligning throughout the season, but really a, a strong quarterback led effort uh, to, to jump out early to make sure that this game was being taken care of. It wasn't killed off super, super quick. It wasn't like they put up 40 points or 35 points, but the, the lead that they got out too quick, put them in a very comfortable position throughout the course of the game. And there wasn't really a time where I felt oh, Tennessee's about to get back in this. I think it's also a, a product of Stetson Bennett going against the, you know, 120th best pass defense or something like that. So he picked up 140 of those yards on three completions. It's, whereas, you know, Tennessee was killed by the fact that they couldn't have a big, you know, they couldn't generate a big play. Their longest, you know, play went for 28 yards. Stetson Bennett had completions of 37, 49, and 52 yards. Only one of which scored. So, you know, moved them down the field pretty easily um and then you know they were they're just a more physical team and better all around and to punch it in it you know after that yeah george is the favorite to win the title right i think so they've gotta be by far you want me to look at draft books is what you're saying mark you're shaking your head oh no i'm just i'm surprised you even posed the question i don't i don't even think that's close I wasn't I'll looking look at betting odds. Right I was I was kind of saying amongst us, but um, yeah, you can you can update us with the the latest odds from some sports book, Corey, if you feel so inclined. Look at them up right now. Ollie pulls that up just to kind of recap. They have uh, what appears to be a very manageable end to the season here. They do go on the road at Mississippi State. Tough place to play. Maybe not the toughest team to play at this point in the season. After that, they follow it up with a road trip at Kentucky. Uh, the toothless Wildcats, I don't think, really pose a threat. Finally, they get Georgia Tech. Nice feel-good story for Brent Key, who's the interim coach, but let's get real. Uh, and so, really, it just comes down to show me my opponent for uh, the, the SEC championship game, which right now looks like LSU, but uh, LSU has some, some work to do still. That I think that'll be an interesting game because we talked all at the beginning of the season. Yeah, you know, what an average quarterback 
Jalen Daniels is, and he's balling right now. But uh, I think if the Georgia defense could really turn him, you know, really quickly turn him back into a, a very average quarterback. Yeah, let's talk about that game. You, you mentioned having a, a really strong performance and, and seemingly Jaden Daniels is getting better and better with every single week. Brian, you mentioned you had some thoughts on the Bama LSU game. Let's talk about the amazing upset on the Bayou. No, I just, I, I really love, so Corey mentioned earlier that Steve, him and I all watched the Florida State Miami game together. The end of this LSU Alabama game was shortly after, or perhaps before the end of the Florida State game was out of hand. I think that game was still going on, but we switched it over to Alabama LSU. And as soon as they score uh, that touchdown in, sorry, the touchdown in overtime, I'm holding up the the one finger from the same clip we see of Brian Kelly holding up the one that gets blocked against Florida State. And he doesn't, doesn't even hesitate for a second. We're going we're gonna to end this now. And Brian Kelly has been kind of hit with this, this moniker of being a, a coach who couldn't get over the big game. He's all the time says, well, you get Notre Dame up there, and then when you have the big game, you lose. And I think some of that is unfair. Um, he has mentioned in the past, yeah, everyone loses when you go to play Alabama. That's, that's how this has gone for a decade now. It's not a me thing. It's a country. You know, Everyone loses when they get to the situation. And he sees the opportunity. He knows they don't get a chance to respond because they got the ball second. Let's finish this right now. I really love the move to go for it. I thought it was gutsy. I thought the play call was awesome. And Jaden Daniels puts it where he needs to go. Beautiful rub route. I'm just excited for LSU. There was nerves early on about what this would be under Brian Kelly. And they're off to a phenomenal start. And quite frankly, I think doing a little bit better than than we would have, I mean, a lot better than we would have projected the first season, a little bit better than perhaps their talent would have suggested even in a talented team. Did you know that they ran the same play that they ran against Florida State in 2014? You, were you around to see that game or no? No. Oh, it's so called the passion appearance. You yeah. know the story though, right, Ray? No. Okay. So I'll, I'll tell it real quick. So I, Florida State, this is in 2014, right after Florida State has won the national championship. The second year with Jameis Winston as the starting quarterback, you may remember there were lots of really close calls for that Florida State team. They would fall behind. NC State is a, the major example. They fell behind, I think, 21 to three in that game, come back, cover the spread, but you know, they had to do it in comeback fashion. Uh, other close encounters with Miami, with uh, Notre Dame being one of them. Notre Dame comes into town. I think it's number one versus number five. I, don't, I can't remember the exact rankings there. Someone might might pull that up. But huge home test for, for Florida State. And Brian Kelly is obviously the head coach at Notre Dame. His starting quarterback, Everett Golson, oh, two versus number five. Thank you, Corey. Everett Golson plays the game of his life. David Robinson's kid, I don't remember, is it David Robinson Jr. or somebody Robinson, but it's it's the Admiral, you know, from you know, of San Antonio Spurs fame, has the only good game of his career. Uh, I, the next year he's in student government and really isn't even on the team. But, you know, the stars appeared to align for Notre Dame to win this game. Uh, they they led for most of the game. James Winston leads a comeback drive to take the lead. 
and then they convert multiple like third and long or I think maybe even a fourth and long on the drive. I'm not looking at it right now. This is just going from my memory of 2014. So it's been eight years, but they get down to the two yard line or so and they run this same play where they run sort of slants with their they've got I think two wide and they run slants and then a the the inside slot and or, or in this case the tight end with LSU goes out to the kind of kind of to the flat but like it's it's an out route just a shallow out route right at the goal line and so they run those rubs but in the Florida State game the guy obviously blocks, extends his hands, and they get called for offensive pass interference after they score. And so, yeah, gets, there's 13 the seconds left in the game. Yeah, the touchdown gets taken away. They get moved back, and then Everett Golson throws a pick on the essentially the last play. It was, I think, a fourth down too. So they had yeah. to go to the end zone on like from the 17 or whatever it ends up being. But Brian Kelly says it's the same play we ran against Florida State. And we didn't get we didn't get called for it this time. Um, I think he's still salty about it. I don't care. It was offensive pass interference then. I didn't. I haven't like rewatched the the tape on the LSU one. Maybe they ran it a little bit more cleanly. So I didn't go rewatch it, but it looks like the corners aren't really in press coverage at that. You know, ne- nearly the same way that FSU was, and so you just actually don't get the contact to exist that early on in the play. Yeah, I, was, I thought it was cool that he went on record saying that. Just like, yep, same play. So, the other Steve, thing I, I got to give you a credit, by the way, um, yeah. on how accurate you are on that. They do convert a couple fourth downs. They do end up on the second two yard line. It is fourth and from the it's fourth down from the eighteen. It is get picked off. Your memory is very impressive. That's what eight years ago. <laughs> I can't well, do the math when you have you. so when you have so few Florida State games that are of value to rewatch in the last seven or eight years you watch the ones from the glory years of 13 and 14 over and over and over again no i definitely agree with you on that i i was actually listening to some people other other people talk and i i i want to p- throw this idea out there is the dynasty over i i heard danny cannell talking about this one of the quotes he uses or the stats he uses he says in the last 17 games alabama has had either a single digit loss or a single digit win or like they either lost or had a single digit win 10 times out of the last 17 games in the previous 54 games, they did it 10 times. Um, I thought stat is kind of mind blowing. Um, but yeah, it's, I want to throw the idea out there. Is the dynasty over? I'll make this very brief. Yes. The dynasty is over. This doesn't mean Alabama will be a poor team. I don't think they're in massive decline, but I don't think they've been untouchable for a minute now. You've had Clemson ascend to that level. You've had Georgia ascend to that level. This year, they're not making it to the SEC title game unless LSU botches their next two SEC games, which I don't see happening. I think they're still going to continue to be a perennial top 10, maybe maybe perennial top five, but perennial top dog winning half the national titles of that, that we have going year to year. I, I don't see it continuing to happen that way. Agree. I think it's going to be... One of those, one of the things that made Alabama so dominant, dominant, was that they were by far the best defensive team during that stretch, and every year. And Kirby Smart's replaced him the last two years, and he's pulling so much talent in defensively that you know, I, I just don't know that Alabama can stay, stay that far ahead of him defensively. And so if you you're not a lead on both sides of the ball, you're vulnerable. 
And that's what we saw. And that's what we're seeing out of Georgia. Uh, you know, they're a top five offensive team and a top five defensive team. Now that's no, not no slouch on Alabama because Alabama, I believe is top five offensively. And I don't know where they are after this week, but going into last week, I think they were uh, 14 or 15 defensively, so, but um, it's no longer where nobody can score on you. And, and then in the later years of the dynasty, you either, they, they had two different strategies, right? Which was early on, we'll just get the biggest, beefiest, you know, offensive line and the best running backs and we'll run you to death until they uh, realize, well, we could also just do that with wide receivers and just put a bunch of people in the first round. But I don't think they're, they outclass everybody defensively like they used to. Is that due to Charles Kelly being the DC the last three years or, and not being the quite the brain that everybody else might think he'd be? Cody C. He might be Cody C. He's been there for been there since 2019. He's been there. It's it's Golding. Pete Golding, I think, is their defensive coordinator who came from UTSA. I've heard speculation that he may not return. To answer your question from my perspective, I mean, with the transfer portal, it's hard to like project forward like like you used to be able to. So that part makes it makes this hazy. In fact, you know, when we get to our offseason content, I don't know if we're going to do like a who's winning the championship next year, at least until the transfer portal closes for the second time uh, in, in like May or whenever that second window is. But at this juncture, like looking at their roster as it's currently constructed, I mean, they don't get better next year, do they? I don't think so. I don't think you'll lose Bryce Young, Will Anderson. I guess those are the two main pieces. I know that there's quite a few of their offensive line or seniors. I don't see them replacing them with people on the roster and it being an upgrade. Maybe there's a push or two in there in some of those. But you know, Will Anderson specifically and Bryce Young, I, I don't think you replace those players. I don't know if anyone that's that elite is going to go into the transfer portal and leave where they're at. Kind of depends on where they are now, but I'm not seeing those names. Like I, for for FSU purposes, I've been looking at transfer quarterbacks because we don't anticipate Jordan Travis coming back, and I'm curious who will be available. The best I can come up with is like Hudson Card. So fine QB, but no one would confuse him with Bryce Young. So I. I don't think they get better. Let's put it that way. And I think some of the teams around them are getting better. Obviously, LSU is on a roll right now, both on the field in terms of their performance, but off the field in terms of recruiting. Be exciting. Be exciting to see what happens. We'll see if Nick Saban has had to reinvent the way he's won at least once before, like we already alluded to with kind of the really aggressive approach to um, to modernize the offense and to update it. He may have to reinvent some things again, and, and you know, we'll, we'll see if he's capable of doing that. I, I would anticipate that historically, if he's been able to adapt and change, that he will. I wonder how much longer he's in the game, too. So that that also makes things interesting to see what what the future holds for, for Alabama in a post-Nick Saban world. Yeah, I did, Jim, by the way, do my checks. Uh, Charles Kelly is the assistant D.C. and has been for the last three years. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think Bryce Young has covered so many holes in this for this team. This team is not would have at least three losses, if not four, because they wouldn't have beaten Texas if it wasn't for Bryce Young and how he played in that game. And I'm interested to see if, what changes do happen this next year. I think you get rid of the OC, Brian, Bill Ryan, and you go back to somebody else that's going to run something less pro and more adapt to the college world. I think you gotta you gotta make some changes. It feels 
kind of like, and it's not the same, but Florida State in 2015 and 16 had Dalvin Cook, who covered up a lot of deficiencies on that team because he was able to pop probably two to three 60-plus yard touchdown runs basically in every major game that they had. Almost single-handedly beat Clemson twice when they really had no business in those games. Uh, but kind of a similar thing with Bryce Young going on. Obviously, I think maybe even to a more extreme degree. So really interesting thought exercise there. Thanks for asking the question, Corey. Now, speaking of Clemson and and being run all over, let's let's shift gears once again to a game that took place in South Bend where the luck of the Irish was on the side of Notre Dame. I've got a couple of thoughts on this game. Number one, they kind of checked all the boxes of like, here's the recipe for an upset victory, uh, a special teams touchdown, uh, a defensive touchdown out to an early lead. It just felt like the stars kind of aligned for Notre Dame to, to make that, to make that game play out the way that they would want to. We talked about, I think we said this before we started recording, but Notre Dame wins this game and they passed for what, 88 yards, 85 yards. I can't remember. So really didn't have to put too much uh, responsibility on Drew Pine, who we've talked about, like he, he's kind of all over the place. He's had a couple of good weeks, but you could question what, what level of competition he was facing when he's, when he's looked a little bit more, more serviceable as their quarterback. My big takeaway from this one is that, Clemson's defensive line's been run on a few different times. We talked about Florida State when they played those first few drives. Florida State was really moving the football against a very, very ballyhooed Clemson defensive front. And I still expect those players to go and play in the league, but at some point you gotta gotta play with a little bit of pride, right? And you got like that's that's gotta be something that uh Brian Brzee, Miles Murphy, Tyler Davis. You need to take that personal, right? No, I, I agree. You have to take that personal. Like, you've had teams expose you. And I think Florida State kind of showed that that, that was the way to expose this Clemson team. Um, and if they had had a defense that was the caliber of Notre Dame's, they might have had a chance to win that game. I, I do find it interesting. Uh, Marcus Freeman kind of is – like, this team is kind of – which kind of seemed like it's all over the all over the place at first. But it's kind of started to gel and starting to become a better and better team. And I'm interested to see what he does in, in year two because he he was clearly their first choice, and the players clearly love him. And know, we know he can coach defenses if he, he can find the right offensive mind and make sure that they continue on the offensive side growing. Where does this team go? I mean, the, Notre Dame always is unlimited potential because they don't play anybody or play whoever they want to play, right? Uh, so it's, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I also saw something on Twitter, but I don't know if this, I believe this, is that Marcus Freeman now has the same amount of top five wins at Notre Dame that Brian Kelly had when he was there. I don't know if that's true or not <laughs> in his 12 years. It was just a joke. I think that was put on Twitter, but it was kind of funny. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that they got that. that. I'm thrilled that they got that top five win though, because we talked a lot about how we didn't think Clemson was that good for They gotten the job done over and over again. And there's something to be said for that, but I'm really happy that it happened now and not in the playoff that something like this occurred. Now Clemson still has all, all in all likelihood will win out the rest of the way and will win in the ACC title game. So that doesn't totally put them out of the running of ending back up in the playoff. But I think this performance would, at least for me as a voter, if I were a on the committee, the playoff committee, I'd say, I don't really need to see that in a playoff. 
So I, I'm really happy that this happened now as opposed to then. Also, I just could have never seen this coming from Notre Dame. With, with some of the teams Clemson played, I really expected this from NC State. And, you know, Wake came very, very close in double overtime. But Notre Dame has early on, they lose to Ohio State, but they have two bad losses. Uh, they lose to Sanford and help me out here. What's the second one? Marshall. Marshall. That's right. Who we thought maybe they're good. Then they're not. So two bad losses to start off the season or in the, in the early parts of the season. And we all write them off. And it's sort of that same thing kind of with LSU where we thought, oh, they're not really going to factor in. And then you get this far into the season. You see the things that they've built up. You see the resume they start to make. And you go, I stopped paying attention far too quickly. And it's it's time for us to give more attention and credit to Marcus Freeman and this this Notre Dame team for battling back and for not, you know, having their season defined by a game or two. It seemed like they might crater for a minute there. Uh, but yeah, hat tip to them. Notre Dame finishes with Navy, Boston College, and then on the road at USC. Can they spring that upset? No. I think yes. I think I, I hope was... not. I hope not for sure. I Go think ahead, they have the defense to do it. I just think watching USC against Cal, you go, yeah, UFC is vulnerable against any good team. That's that's personally how I feel. In the lead up to that game, this is a little rough stretch for for Southern Cal. They play at UCLA, which again, maybe not the best home field advantage, but that's the week right before. Whereas Notre Dame, like I said, against Navy in, in Maryland. Boston College at home and then on the road at USC like they they may have a couple weeks to just prep and and, and anticipate what 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 they're going to see against the Trojans like you said Brian I was kind of on that same boat where I kind of had dismissed Notre Dame pretty early in the year after a couple of disappointing performances but Marcus Freeman's uh he's a fine coach and an up-and-comer in the uh college football landscape a couple of other games we wanted to touch on. We'll go to uh, we'll go to TCU and Texas Tech. Mark, you mentioned this is one that you wanted to kind of highlight some things that you saw in that game. Yeah, so this was a an entertaining game. I watched most of this game. Uh, for a lot of the game, Max is it Duggan? Is it Duggan or Dugan? I don't know how it, it's Duggan, right? I think it's Duggan. I think I've that's heard how, Duggan. That's how I've heard it more often. Um, but I wanted to say, you know, Dugan come into the season. He did not look very sharp for a lot of the game. And Texas Tech was doing a great job getting pressure without, you know, without too much of a rush. Four or five guys and, and you know, they were forcing him to get the ball out quick. And when he was getting the ball out, it was not accurate. Um, so he didn't look sharp. Game kind of back and forth all through the the first three quarters. Um, and there was a, an interesting play, you know, we chatted about it before we, we recorded but as a contender for the game turn win moment. TCU had just got the ball. They're on their own 34 yard line. Um, nothing doing on first down. So second and 10 and Texas tech gets pressure again, drops Duggan for a four yard sack. They're going to have third and 14 likely going to get the ball back, but there's a flag on the ground and there's nothing obvious to the play. They call a face mask. And when they review it, there's a hand up by Duggan's face mask, but it, you know, there's no pull, grab, tug. There's, there's no face mask on the play, but it, it just looks fairly close. And so TCU accidentally picks up this first down and it kind of had one of those, you know, feelings to the game of like, 
Oh, if TCU, you know, goes and puts a touchdown down because they've been struggling at this point to move the ball super effectively. They only have 17 points through three quarters. Felt like that gave them a little momentum. And they do. They go end up taking the ball down the field and score. And then they rattle off 21 straight after, uh, including that touchdown afterwards. And it's kind of the the shift in the game for where Texas Tech is leading most of the game to Texas Tech doesn't lead again after that drive. They come up empty the next drive. TCU scores. They come up empty the next drive. TCU scores again. And before Texas Tech, you know, scores another touchdown with like a minute left in the game. Um, so it was just they were the uh, victims of a bad call. And Texas or TCU has shown uh, once again, you have to play that team for 60 minutes because they will play for 60 minutes. And it might feel like they're not playing for the first 24 uh, or 34. So you better, you know, you better run a 28 point lead. 17 won't be enough. And uh, TCU sneaks out there with the win. Another classic rope-a-dope from the Horned Frogs. They head to Texas this week. Who you got? Give me TCU. I think, again, they, you got to play them 60 minutes, and I don't know if Texas will play them for 60 minutes. It wouldn't shock me if Texas wins. I think that's, I mean, I think it's a tough game, but I'll take, give, I'll take TCU. Texas is yeah, known to give up a second-half lead. Sorry, go ahead, Corey. Yeah, that game is at Texas, correct? And they're seven-point favorites? Mm-hmm. Um, my faith in Steve Sarkeesian adopting a game plan or changing a game plan as the game goes on is not super high. I think he's shown a little bit more of a propensity to do that this year. But yeah, I, I, I go with Mark, I think. I think you got to play these Horn Frogs for 60 minutes, and in the end, they find a way to get things done. I'm sorry, Brett. I don't know if he listens. <laughs> My heart says TCU. I, I, I want to see somebody from the Big 12 win out, but. I think Texas got this. I think, I don't know. I think they're just significantly more talented. And when you've got somebody like Bijan Robinson, where if you do get out to an early lead, you can kind of wear down some of that clock and reduce the the time to make the most out of that 60, like TCU tends to. That's a decent recipe for, for finishing off a game at home. Soft factors here, but it feels like they, I mean, with the big 12 being, in my opinion, the most competitive league where Top to bottom, I think that the difference between the most, the, the best teams and the worst teams is just really the gaps is pretty small. It feels only appropriate that we have a little bit more disruption in terms of that uh, Big 12 championship picture being the water getting more muddy. Yeah, we we talk about Texas like they're, you know, a really good football team and they've got a ton of talent, which makes them an interesting play on any game. They have also managed to play every game other than, you know, every challenging game pretty tight as opposed to like winning football games. So Alabama though, I granted, I think you can say they overperformed. They lose that game by one UTSA. That, that might be the the one exception of a, a, a decent football team that they beat by 21 points, Texas tech. They lose that game by three 37 to 34 beat West Virginia pretty easily. They beat OU without Dylan Gabriel, you know, massive Iowa state. They only win by three points, 24, 21, Oklahoma State, they lose that game, 41-34. Kansas State, without Adrian Martinez, they beat by seven points. So it's this team struggles to really um, get the most out of its talent, I feel like. Yeah, should, should be a fun one. Game day will be there once again in Austin. Hope they get good barbecue while they're there. A couple others that we wanted to just touch on. We'll kind of go move quickly through these. Baylor, Oklahoma. Brian, did you did you spring for the ESPN Plus subscription so you could see the game? What happened? No, I just I just followed the highlights. We do have a Oklahoma fan following uh, with the podcast, so always good for us to to keep in touch here. But 
ultimately the three interceptions that are thrown the first half by Dylan Gabriel isn't what kills you. What kills you is the fact that you couldn't stop the run. All five of Baylor's touchdowns come on the ground and Craig Williams has almost 200 yards on the day. If you could limit that in any way, you get the victory here, but that wasn't able to be done. And so Baylor you know, walks out 38, 35 with, with the win over what was a flawed OU performance admittedly, but really pointing out one of the you know, potential issues for the remainder of the season. I know there's only three games left in the, in the regular season, but it's a recipe you don't want spelled out on you because it's really hard to stop when you realize, oh, people already know we can't stop the run. The only way you can stop it is now load up the box and expose yourself on the back end. I look like they face uh, oh at West Virginia. They've I can't remember the uh now his name is escaping me, the running back for West Virginia. He's a pretty talented player, played I think defensive end in high school. And so they kind of caught a guy that he pr- pretty big, strong, fairly fast guy. But but outside of that, you're not facing a ton of like really fearsome rushing attacks to close the year. You get Oklahoma State at home at bed uh, in the bedlam game. And then on the road against the Red Raiders, we'll see if everything runs through Lubbock, like uh, their their coach said last year. I I I, I don't believe it. A uh, couple other games. Let's see uh, to wrap up the week. Texas Kansas State. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, where they, we mentioned that Texas was able to hang on. I actually didn't get eyes on that that game this week, or haven't been able to. I, I saw like the box score; they jumped out to an early lead. Looks like they survived a comeback attempt from the Wildcats. Uh, yeah, the Big Twelve is a, is a really entertaining league. This again, I didn't get eyes on this game, at least to this point. But we'll certainly go back and take a look, just because feels like anyone can beat anyone in that game or in that league. And that's why we decided to go with predictions in that league. Cause it just felt like you could pull a name out of the hat and they, they had just as good a chance to win the conference as anyone else. Uh, yeah. Setting up a showdown uh, between Texas and TCU with us, essentially a spot in the big 12 championship game on the line. If TCU wins another game, they will clinch and uh, clinch a, a spot in that big 12 title game, Texas with the opportunity to, build off of a big win over a contender for the the second spot in that game. Again, I'm kind of not assuming, but saying if TCU is to capture one that leaves one up for grabs between Baylor, Kansas state, Texas are the three main main contenders at this point, but, but no, I don't think there there may Oklahoma and Oklahoma state might not technically be eliminated like mathematically from, from competition, but those kind of the three main ones. So can they jump in and, and, and build off of that win on the road against Kansas state, defend home field against TCU and and really kind of stake their claim as the second combatant in the big 12 championship game in December. Quick, let's talk about a couple more games. Uh, we'll, We'll save most of our thoughts for FSU Miami toward the end of our show. But obviously, we are thrilled with the result that took place down in Miami Gardens. And to see the the mass exodus of fans, all the people leaving the stadium. Anyway, uh, man, that was an awesome game. Does anyone have just any any quick observations on that? Or are we going to keep a lot of those in the chamber or in the holster for parting shots? Mark, fire away. Yeah, I just thought Norvell was so fast to go to his backup defensive line. We were in the middle of the third quarter, and Miami had shown no signs of life, but it was like a 28-point game. Just to go back to his starters when the game when it looked like Miami was about to score. I just wanted to point that out. 
and then rub dirt in it when the starters get a stop and do not give up any points on that drive, which was awesome. Last week at last week against Georgia Tech, um, Florida State's defensive coordinator Adam Fuller was asked about like how his backup defensive players did now that they got in the game, and he said, "I would have liked the stop." If, rather than let them get the experience. And so I thought it, it was funny that they did put in the starters all of a sudden and that they do get the stop. Um, and I, you could tell that that's, that's an important game. That's why they wanted to do, they wanted to put a stamp on that game and say, we are the better team. We are not even going to let this team get close. Um, also, Mario Cristobal being talked to about Norvell running up the score potentially um, by p- bringing in his, his starters and then also later on scoring another touchdown. I like the response, to be honest, but for Mario Cristobal, he goes, we have a job to stop him for 60 minutes. I, he says it'll be different in the future because he thinks that they'll win, but um, and they probably will win something if, if he continues to bring in the talent that he does. Um, but I, I do like that. Like, it is a 60-minute game. You, 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 It's your job to stop them, not to be mad at them when they continue to score. But I think that was funny, too. Well, and specifically what they're addressing there is Florida State with their backup offense in the game in garbage time, going forward on fourth down and driving forward and getting another touchdown to go up 45 to three when they could have punt. I don't remember where they were at, if they could have punted or kicked a field goal. It was somewhere in that iffy range past the 50 yard line where they decided to, you know, this is what we'd normally do. We'd normally go for it on fourth here. So we're going to go for it and not really necessary for winning the game. But for me, it was very clear that this was personal from two years back, two years back was Norvell's first season at Florida State. He had COVID, couldn't coach Florida State in Miami. So they're away. He's in Tallahassee watching the game. He can't be a part of it. And Florida State gets plastered 52 to 10. And I think he wanted to just serve it right back to him. It's the same margin of victory from 2020 as it is in 2022, but the different the the, the other team wins. I think he really wanted to slam the door all the way shut, um, not, not give them any part of hope where they go well this backup came in or this happened you know that gives us hope for what the future is I think he was having none of it and wanted to to close out all hope for what may be in the future for Miami let, let, let me give a, a less petty take on that though because I don't necessarily feel like that's what it was it's <clears throat> what's the point of playing my backups if they don't get the real experience and and what makes me say that is I I started this segment by saying we went to our backups really freaking early like early enough to lose a football game. I was shocked at, you know, the fact that you, and it wasn't all of them. Uh, I think most of the defensive backs were still a starter. Certainly Jamie Robinson was still in when we went to the, all the, the, the complete backups on the defensive line, but you're halfway through the third quarter with a 28 point lead. Like there is a easy way to lose a 28 point lead in a quarter and a half. So I don't feel like it was necessarily show voting. In fact, if anything, I thought it was poor coaching. I wouldn't have moved there that quickly. And then, you know, good job get letting your you know your backups actually get the real experience there's no point you know why putting your backups if they're going to need the football like you don't need to put your backups in for that obviously you don't want to you know a, a terrible you know freak accident but let them go play and get the experience they're trying to pick up yeah all in all i just think uh norvell did a great job and and coaching that game came in with a great game plan um did a good job of setting his team his team looked like a team that was just ready to go on a mission rather than an overhyped team where it's like Miami seemed pretty hyped, and I was a little worried about that, to be honest. I, I do wonder what happens if you have a, a, a healthy Miami in this game um, to see how this game turns out. Tyler Van Dyke, I think, still is a quality quarterback. It's very, it was very clear that he was hurt, and he's put out there a little bit at his own risk. But 
hey, we'll take it. Like I said earlier, you have to play the games that are played in front of you, put in front of you, and we'll take a win when we can. And we'll definitely take a win when Mario fronts that amount of money to bring in all those amazing top recruits and lets Florida State give a huge, uh, like, a, well, I don't know, what do you call it? Just a, just a great little showing in front of all those recruits. So, uh, Just touching on the, the game plan from Norvell, I really liked – the statistics going into this game, Miami has a bad secondary, but they have a good pass rush. That was basically the – if you're just looking at the, the raw numbers of it, their competition has been suspect. But Florida State said, oh, you have a good pass rush? Great. We'll just not throw the ball. And they just ran it over and over again. It didn't make any difference that they have people who can get around the edge – of your uh, tackles, because guess what? That tackle was gone. He was pulling to the other side of the line and you were running it all the way down their throats the whole game. It was a, a really awesome game plan to watch because you see, you know, going in, I thought we've got good wide receivers. They've got terrible secondary. We're going to pass it all over them. It's just going to be, can we keep Jordan Travis up? That was not the question at all. It was just, were they ever going to stop us from going five, six yards on any given down? Yeah, I read the statistic that Florida State played, ran the counter 37 times in that game. And when Alex Atkins got asked about the, that, he goes, it worked the first 10 times. Why we stop? Like kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, the old NCAA football Mark Austin offense with DeMarco Murray. All right, a couple more. We'll, we'll go quickly. Uh, Liberty goes on the road and just does what they've done now for the last three years, which is just win games. And this one, again, Arkansas made uh, a little bit of a late push, got it within a score. It never really felt like they were actually going to, to, to make that make the outcome in question. Mark, how are the people around you? Do they need support? Yeah, feel, feeling like uh, their top 10 ranking was, you know, three seasons ago and not six weeks. I, I just picture our, our Arkansas or Razorback fans kind of like, you know, the proverbial like blanket around them sipping hot cocoa outside of like a, a fire or something, you know, when someone's been rescued from really traumatic event. No, it's basketball season now. So there's life, there's fresh life again. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I remember the days when, when Florida state uh, was so bad at football that it's like, Oh, thank goodness. Basketball season's back. Something that we're good at. It feels like those roles are maybe are reversed this year, but uh um, one more game that we wanted to touch on real quick, Ohio State Northwestern. Obviously, some really surprising numbers in that, some really extreme weather. I didn't watch much of this game. The one thing that I saw was in the warm-ups, they showed it right before they like actually started the game. The Ohio State kicker attempts just a warm-up kick, I think, from the 35-yard line and has a perfect kick, really good trajectory. It hangs up in the wind right at the goal line and drops 40 feet to the to the turf like it was like perfect and he just kind of looks around they they get a close-up on him and he's like what am I supposed to do about this with just this insane win at that game uh Brian what were your takeaways from the Ohio State Northwestern game just Ohio State's offense is pretty neutered without a passing attack and I understand any offense is gonna do a lot poorer when you're 100% predictable but with that win there was just it, I mean, way worse on the kicking game than on the throwing game, but really bad on the throwing game. Uh, CJ Stroud didn't have his best day altogether, but I don't think it's altogether to blame for going 10 of 26. I think it was just that hard to move anything in the air. But the fact that you're still throwing it 26 times with them shows you how desperate you are to get that part of the game going because 
that's really where they strive, uh, where they thrive the most. So 76 yards through the air, took them a long time, but they were able to get the work done on the ground, get the touchdowns they needed to, you know, beat a one win team in Northwestern. I don't know if any team can legitimately stop Ohio state from throwing the ball and make them one dimensional in this way. That that's the part where you go, what is the real takeaway here? Can somebody effectively do that? But now we have a, a crazy case study on the hypothetical. If you could, this is what happens. Maybe Georgia? Maybe. I'm not betting against them. This game just looked like a, a classic David and Goliath. I mean, when you watched it, even though the game was tight, it's like Northwestern was trying so hard for everything. I mean, they pick up their quarterback and get dropped back. He get pressured. He'd run forty yards behind the line of scrimmage to throw a six yard pass and be like, "Okay, we got six more yards." Like, and they had to try so hard for everything they got. And uh, even while watching the game being close, it didn't feel like Ohio State was going to lose this game. It's just like there's no that's not sustainable way that Northwestern can win the football game. They're gonna have to come up with a you know a blocked punt they return for a touchdown or or something else because they're not gonna do you know they're not gonna get find the end zone more than once with that sort of offense. I can't remember what NFL coach it was that said this, but one one of them said, if I can control the weather, the only thing I would ever change in a game is wind. Just like rain, snow, whatever. Wind is the big one that affects a game. Now we'll go to the game turn. When I have it this week, this was a really uh, kind of an off-the-radar game. Missouri hosted Kentucky in the noon slot on Saturday. And the game go, game go. Wow, uh, the game went the the way that I think <laughs> I can see all y'all laughing. I'm gonna keep going though because I am not going to be faced. Um, but the game played out kind of like you would think a Kentucky versus Missouri game would, where there's not that many points, not a whole lot of really like impressive performances offensively. Like, I think that that probably goes without saying with those two teams, really strong defenses, really, really savvy defensive minds on both of those coaching staffs. So the game is at 21-17. Kentucky is leading, and there's about six minutes left. Missouri gets a stop. They end up having to punt the ball back. They they don't move the ball. They punt the ball back to Kentucky, and it just kind of feels like, all right, there's really – You've got one more chance if you're Missouri. There's, I, I think there's about four minutes left when Kentucky gets the ball. Missouri has all of its timeouts. And so it's like, all right, you punt it. You really hope that you can get a, a quick three and out and give your offense some time to move down the field. You're down four, so you need a touchdown. And they get the requisite stops. They take a few of their timeouts. They, they don't, I, I don't think they get it on the first, like, series and what i mean is like by that first first down i think kentucky gets a first down but after that they're held and so there's about two and a half minutes left and kentucky is uh, at fourth down and it's fourth and i think about six i can't remember the the yardage there the fourth and, and enough that they need to punt and they're they're kind of nearing midfield and they're, they're they force a punt missouri's got another chance two and a half minutes left and so at that point, if you're a Missouri fan, you're probably thinking, we have a shot. I can't imagine they felt super confident given that they'd only scored 17 points in the game. But it only takes one play. It only takes one play. They have a couple of really explosive receivers. Maybe someone gets loose. The fourth down snap goes over the head of the punter. 
And so I think if in that moment, if you're a Missouri fan, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, we're going to get the ball in extremely good field position and really give ourselves a chance. The punter has to go and chase down the ball. He ends up picking up the ball at about the two or three yard line. And in one pretty swift motion, not only fields it, but turns and punts the ball 30 yards, not, not super far, but 30 yards to avoid disaster. But then in, in him avoiding disaster for Kentucky, disaster strikes for Missouri, where one of the Missouri players tackles him thinking he's a ball carrier because he's just picking up the ball. But since he punts it away, they draw a flag for for roughing the punter. And it's kind of a weird, I've never seen a play quite like that. And, and even right before we hit record tonight, someone asked, like, is can you rough the punter if the path if the, the snap goes over his head? And apparently the rule reads something such that if he's still between the tackles, if he's still in the tackle box, he is still given that punter's protection where if he gets the punt away and you don't you don't get a piece of it, you can't hit him. And I think it's just straight up tackles him. In fact, the punter is carted off. I don't know if I ever closed the loop on what the injury is, but it looked like a pretty gnarly, uh, pretty, pretty gnarly hit to take uh, right after you're kicking the ball away. I'm stunned. I'm stunned at number one, it goes over the punter's head, but it also goes straight back. So he is between the tackles, the defensive player for Missouri. Like, how could you have known like, Oh, he still has punters protection on that play, but the flag is enforced. Kentucky gets a new first down. Missouri is out of timeout. So they cannot stop, stop the, the clock, or maybe they can stop the clock once. And they do end up getting the ball back one more time, but with, with the way that Kentucky was able to run the ball and, and run the clock down, they get the ball with, I think, 13 seconds, and they're able to flip the field because now they're punting from about midfield as opposed to, you know, punting from the two-yard line. That the, that punt ends up going out of bounds on the Kentucky 30, which would have, you know, if he doesn't tackle him and the punt still gets off, Missouri's still in awesome position to potentially score with about 30 yards to go and two and a half minutes to get there. So, really really kind of a wild circumstance y- you feel for kind of everyone involved because I-, I i would have never known that rule i i feel for the defensive player who ends up making that play thinking he's probably just really helped you know force the issue and and try and uh get that tackle on the 2 yard line so they can be on the goal line with their offense to take the lead you know coach drinkwitz is beside himself can't believe that it's happened you feel for the punter cuz he takes the you know a really nasty hit but He's got to be the hero in Lexington for for really making a very heads up play that saves the game for the Wildcats. I just thought that was a fascinating change, a turn of events and fascinating tidbit of the rule that maybe I wasn't familiar with. And so I thought that was an interesting one to share from the early morning slot in an SEC game with very little in terms of... uh, ramifications or, or or not a whole lot on the line other than uh, an SEC win for two coaches that are, are both secure in their jobs. So not a whole lot on the line, but I thought that was a fun one to just kind of talk through that scenario. Yeah. I'm curious rules wise, if there's what defines who the punter is, if, if somebody else from Kentucky had picked it up, could they, if within the tackles, try a punt and have punters protection? It's, it's opened up this world of like, I've never really thought about what the rules are and what they state for this specific scenario, but 
should it come again, you know, I, at least these two coaches will, will know and have their players prepped on, on what the, the specifics are. In reality, I just can't imagine. I can't believe the ball went so far straight backwards. Like it just a perfect straight football's a roll straight. So it's just impressive. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk this coming week. What is on the slate? What are you frothing at the mouth to see? Um, we'll go back in our same order as we started the show. Brian, the dunce cap of the group, what do you have for this next week? Well, according to the colleges I applied to, the dunce cap gets passed to you and Mark because they care about composite if you don't. But uh, no, I'm excited for LSU Arkansas. LSU's got to get this win and then that locks them up for the SEC West. Oddly to me, only a three-point favorite. I would have thought that would be very different than it is. We'll see, but if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I, I'd put money on LSU to, to cover. Um, TCU Texas has to be the other one. I want to see somebody from the Big 12 in the playoff. I've had so much fun watching them throughout this season. I'd like to see how competitive they are because I don't, I can't point to a lot of games in my mind except for Texas Alabama, where I've seen them play the big boys in other conferences. And that was a really good showing for the Big 12, frankly. So I would love to see TCU get a win here and, and give the Big 12 a chance to be represented when it, when it comes to the postseason. But either way, a game that's almost guaranteed to, to have entertaining moments and twists and turns throughout. Last one I'll touch on and I'll leave, you know, the, the rest for all of you. North Carolina Wake. Um, North Carolina might be the best team in the ACC now. Of course, they'll have to win against Wake. They'll have to play. Do they still have NC State? I'm trying to remember who they still have. NC State and then in the ACC championship, should they continue to the ACC championship, go against Clemson. So it's not exactly easy, especially, I don't know. I think NC State might be the, the toughest of the whole crew there, but I'm excited to see to this point, I would have thought they'd have a lot more than one loss and getting to this stage against Wake Forest. Can they keep it going? You know, they Virginia's not a very good team. They only beat them by three, but they still managed to get the victories that they need. And I'm excited that there's at least one exciting team in all of the Coastal Division, which is maybe the worst division in all of the Power Five. And Wake's favorite in that game, by the way. I think they 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 figure if anybody can jumpstart, you know, Sam Harton and figure out how to get him to not turn over the football, it'd be that UNC defense. So uh, the over-under there is at 76 points. That'll be interesting. Not the highest over-under uh, you know, this week, or at least I don't, I don't know who ESPN uses for their, their odds. Um, but according to, to ESPN, 76 and a half points there, that one will be, be fun. I'll take another shootout game. This is the highest over underscoring game of the week. UCLA versus Arizona at 78 or 77 and a half. Uh, you know, UCLA is just uh, fun to watch. DTR, uh, is great entertainment. I, I called out the toilet bowl last week. Uh, I think technically Steven dubbed it that. I'll take this week's too. Iowa versus Wisconsin. Uh, I love me an Iowa versus Wisconsin game. We touched on them at the beginning of the year. Uh, Iowa does not win this game very often under Kirk Ferentz. Um, they lose They lose to uh, Wisconsin most of the time. That is the lowest scoring expected scoring game this week at 35 points. So low that Northwestern New Mexico versus Air Force is expected to score more points than that game. But anyway, should be, should be a, a 
a really nice, you know, pillow fight with a, a couple teams that like to load it up in the trenches and then run the ball for two and a half yards. Um, so that'll be fun to watch. And then any any time to watch Iowa's defense is a uh, is a good time. Isn't Ohio State favored by more than than the over under is for that game? <laughs> I think Ohio State's favored by like forty points. <laughs> Looking for it now. You're probably yes, forty against Indiana. That's funny. The parody that's in the Big Twelve. I'll leave that. I'll flip it over to you, Steve. This is a game that usually I always try and find some sort of midweek game to, to make me through the, to kind of hold me over the, till, till Saturdays. I don't see anything that really jumps out at me as fun. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be the, the, the midweek action is just, kind of a fun idea and, and you'll there'll, there'll always be something there but the, none of those matchups really just jump out at me and say like oh I, I've got to tune into that so much as it's I'll follow that game on Twitter because there are some some accounts that we follow that uh, do a good job of of picking out and plucking out the most interesting parts of of games that maybe are below the radar there are two that I think are sneaky good games that well, and I say sneaky good games. They're games that I'm interested in. Let's put it that way. Um, the first one, Louisville and Clemson. I, I wonder what happens there. Louisville, I think a lot of people left them for dead. They were at two and three at one point. It looked like Scott Satterfield might get fired. Don't look now. They've, they, 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 they've won four in a row. They're looking pretty sharp. Clemson coming off of a disappointing performance does get this game at home this is uh this is in fake death valley but uh, i'm interested to see what happens there and, and how they respond to their first loss of the year uh and, and louisville's kind of a, a team with a lot of confidence a team that also can can run the football um can can do some things there so we'll see what happens the other one I, this is in my opinion the the premier rivalry of the soon-to-be pack 12 uh oregon and washington cards on the table here i am a big huskies fan when it comes to these two i'm not a giant oregon guy uh it's in it's in eugene oregon's favored by 14 points i don't know if they've seen a passing attack quite like washington so if nothing else it gives us another data point to to see if oregon's recovery from that week one just uh blowout loss we'll, we'll see what they can do and see Kalen DeBoer is uh an offensive guy really strong mind to see him match wits with Dan Lanning uh on one side of the field is, is really interesting um and I think he's going to have to score points because I'm not sure they have the horses defensively to really keep Oregon's offense and check so that's where that matchup becomes really interesting is to to really win that matchup in order to really keep the game close because i don't think when oregon has the ball that the huskies have a whole lot of answers for the the oregon attack we'll see what happens in that game those are two that i'm keeping an eye on um like la you said last week steve i i too enjoy slop and after watching our our best high school game that was on saturday um texas a&m versus georgia or versus uh florida I'm looking forward to two more high school football games on Saturday. Um, A&M versus Auburn, uh, Cadillac Williams leading those Tigers. The Tigers are favored in that game, by the way. <laughs> I just saw that. That's nuts. And then Miami and Georgia Tech. Um, 
with Tech being favored by by a point to a point and a half, depending on where you look. Um, those will be exciting games to just watch to see who gets mired further in the muck. Is AM left paying $3 million per win for this year, or are they able to get one more? Not that it'll matter. They just had the number, what, one linebacker decommit from their, their school earlier today. Then the other two, two games, you guys have mentioned a bunch of them. Um, actually, no, sorry. I want to go through three more games. Uh, the Big 12, the top four teams in the Big 12 play each other this weekend. So it'll be fun to see what happens. Brian, we kind of already mentioned TCU and Texas, but then Kansas State and Baylor. So depending on how this works out, if Texas beats TCU, uh, we've got all heck breaks loose in, in the Big 12 for who's going to be in that title game. But yeah, just keeping your eyes on that, those games would be fun to me. And then lastly, Bama versus Ole Miss, because Bama is 11 and a half point favorites. I think that was a similar line with LSU last week. If Ole Miss is able to beat Bama, they own the head-to-head against LSU, um, which would be interesting to see. I just can't wait for Lane Kiffin's tweets if they get into this into the SEC title. So um, just just fun games to watch that can really change the landscape of college football. Yeah, let me let me tack on one more underrated game that I left. I didn't know if anybody wanted to pick this, so I didn't want to take too many at the front. But UCF versus Tulane that's going to be one of the best, you know, uh, group of five games all season, and it's it's number one and number two in the AAC. So let's see if uh, UCF has what it what it takes. Yeah, I I expected college game day to be at Tulane, given they've already gone to Texas and this is a, a premier game. This group of five, I know they only really. They don't focus there much, but this is a big one. This is a big one for both of those programs, not only for this year, but for, you know, the year after you have these places that want to establish themselves as good landing spots, honestly, for, for transfers, for people who went to group of five teams or group of five power five programs. And those programs either aren't producing or they're not getting the playing time there that they expect to. Uh, I, I think that's a good call, Mark. It's, it's a sneaky, good game. Not really that sneaky. These are these are ranked teams, but perhaps teams that don't get the the coverage that you know the other matches we we talked about. Will time for parting shots. I know I've got a few, but maybe we maybe we go around the circle. Does anyone have anything to say? Yeah, I'll lead us off. Um, there's a I, I've talked about how I'm a European soccer fan before, and I'm gonna go ahead with an analogy again. You have coaches who they'll say he's a really good man manager. And all that means is that they work well with big personalities and big talented players who are kind of, you know, you got to keep happy and that they have a good locker room vibe where the team will go out and they'll fight for that coach and they'll, they'll work really hard, but it's not a master tactician who's come up with all these impressive plans and they play really creative uh, soccer. And when it's going really well, all the pundits will say, hey, this guy's a fantastic man manager. Carlo Ancelotti is a big one. He's been to a ton of teams. He just goes in big uh, personalities, gets them all to gel, and gets good performance out of his team. And then you have when that stops working, and everyone will say he's all vibes, no tactics. Um, that's that's what the phrase that I always go to is just straight vibes, no tactics. And that was the feeling against Miami where I go, this, this was all preseason hype. They the best thing you did was not, uh, it was all before the season started. At this point, it looks aimless. It, it looks, you're, you're having 45 points put up on you. It's one thing when it's Florida State. It's another thing when it's Duke. And it's another first year head coach who's working with less talent. And it's getting blown out by middle Tennessee State, not blown out, 
Yeah. Okay. It was, it was pretty brutal. That's, that's what I see when I watch this team. It looks, I, I know there are good coaches there um, in theory, but you would not be able to tell if you looked on the field. I could have coached that team to maybe three points on Saturday. That's, that's a really embarrassing right. statement, but I think that's very real. Probably true, to be honest. Other parting shots. You, I don't know if you guys have heard about the Stanford hates fun movement with like the tree and all of the Stanford students. No. Okay. Well, Stanford has not been approving very many on campus parties post COVID. Um, the number of applications that are being accepted is apparently much lower than it was previously. I don't really care, but the, the tree got suspended for helping some protesters hold a sign that says Stanford hates fun. I, I really think that Stanford hates winning football games or playing defense or tackling. There's, there's a lot of things Stanford hates apparently nowadays. Don't tell Notre Dame. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing is it's just baffling on the road to, can, can we just say that they went into South Bend and in front of touchdown, Jesus beat them. Man. That's, I, I, that might be the playbook actually against Notre Dame to, to go, you know, no, to go into their place, just like uh Marshall. That is true. But Clemson missed the memo, I guess. Anyway, other parting shots that I have, man, I, I I'm going to pile on Miami just because what, what are we doing? What are we doing here? I, I'm going to let him have it kind of across the board here. Cristobal. I mean, he sounds like a broken record at his, at his press conferences, which again, like, what are you going to say? Like, you, you got to get your players in there, but place the cupboard wasn't empty. But that that team went seven and five last year, and many Diaz. If that same staff holds together, I think they win nine or ten games this year. I thought Miami would win nine or ten games with Cristobal, Kevin Steele. He hired a defensive coordinator that didn't have a job. So that kind of gives you some of the uh, some of the picture with regard to the the coaching hires. Like like Brian mentioned, it's a lot of sizzle and no steak when it comes to the the actual acumen and football acumen of of some of their some of their coaches. Just great recruiters. That's awesome. Get get a bunch of talent and, and win with talent. But anyone that's got close enough talent to to make coaching matter. I think I think Miami's in trouble with those kinds of matchups. So we'll we'll have to see what happens uh, going forward. But but this ain't it. And Mario Cristobal actually said that in his post game press conference. This ain't it. We we all know it. Even he does. Keep going with that. Is there a coach with less credentials than Mario Cristobal to have this type of contract? You have a, a few of these massive, high paying, long term contracts with James Franklin, Jimbo Fisher. Brian Kelly. Mel Tucker does. Oh, that's a good call. Mel Tucker, <laughs> he may win this award. But to, to me, it's there's a very stark contrast between a lot of those guys. And I know Jimbo Fisher's not producing right now, but he at least, you know, is a national champion. Like that one in 2013, he earned that. He did some great things with Florida State before he decided to kind of stop putting in effort. And now he's his problem is adapting. That's that that's the issue we've run into. But I just, I don't know how you justified that contract in the first place as, as the AD, just do it shorter. Like, even if you want to pay the guy out through the nose, that's fine. Don't sign on for that long. It's just a, a potential multiplying factor of the problems that you thought you were facing with Manny Diaz. 
the other thing is like we've we've seen this play out before. He was the the head coach at FIU back in 2007 through 2012, and he ended up getting fired there. Like they got okay, and then they're getting fired there. He hasn't proven himself that he can be a coach that's consistent or, or successful at the high level. So he doesn't deserve that, in my opinion. I, you know, I, I, I think he's got, I think he's got a future. He did win a, a few Pac-12 titles at Oregon, but I just, you know, to me, it's, it's a little surprising that they're getting worse before they got better. It felt like that program was on the rise at the end of last year, and. Uh, and things that feels like the wheels are coming off another one I want to throw shade at we talked about uh Michigan State and, and how Mel Tucker is is locked into a giant deal with a ton of accomplishments to to really show for it outside of a 10-win year uh this past year after getting all of their players suspended indefinitely I don't know if some of them have been removed from the team yet seems like there's legal action that might be pending on some of those players uh they go out and beat Illinois by eight points on the road. Illinois, that, that feels like, if you remember, like, uh, the Lion King when Scar circles back with, with the hyenas after they're unable to kill uh, Simba and, and Nala. I practically gift-wrapped those cubs, and you couldn't even dispose of them. Illinois, come on, man. Like, that was a layup. Yeah, for me, it's just showing the the Big Ten West and how it's competing with the ACC Coastal as the worst division in in, in college football. I mean, it's just that that shows you the distance of okay, Michigan State, who's been getting pounded on by everyone in their division, they're gonna go beat the number what was Illinois ranked number sixteen team in the country, the top team in the the other division. There is a chasm between those two divisions right now. Should they go back to legends and leaders? <laughs> forgot about legends and leaders anything else arkansas is gonna be lsu this weekend that's what i'm saying not not a shot at anybody but i think arkansas has the right quarterback to practice their defense on that's similar to Jaden daniels and so i think they got an interesting idea to have a play that Ooh, pig that'll wrap up this week's episode of cfb paint thanks for all the support listens comments and likes Feel free to, again, share this with your friends uh, and engage with us. We're happy to field questions, happy to kind of keep the conversation going between now and our next pod. Looking forward to another great week of college football. Peace.